Welcome to Collaboration RA. This podcast is dedicated to our profession, allowing us to share who we are, what we bring to the field of radiology, and how we care for the patients we serve. We look forward to hearing from you. Find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. We appreciate you listening, and we're glad you're here. Now let's collaborate. Welcome to a new episode of Collaboration RA. I am your host, Reese Burgoon, and of course, I have Marceline with me. Hello, everybody. All right. So for this week, we have a brand new guest to us. It's very nice to meet him. And I want to get through this intro as quickly as possible. It's going to be action-packed and fun-filled. We have Kyle Frazier with us this week. Kyle, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. So I'm going to run through this real fast. That way we have more time to talk about the nitty gritty stuff. Mr. Frazier is a Texas lobbyist who has an extensive career spanning more than three decades in the political realm, during which he has remained active within the Austin community, serving as board president of Keeping Texas Beautiful and as a board member for the Women's Advocacy Project. Mr. Frazier is the owner of Kyle Frazier Consulting Incorporated, where he has represented the legislative interest of his business clients, including interest in water desalination, water rights, health care, alcohol regulation, and taxes. Mr. Frazier gained his notoriety at the start of his career in 1983, where he worked closely with Mark White for governor campaign, winning that election, and then being appointed as deputy director of appointments by Governor White. Mr. Frazier's success continued as he worked on a statewide and regional political campaigns for numerous states and later returned home to Texas, where he helped Jim Turner successfully win Texas State Senate in 1990. Mr. Frazier saw a unique opportunity and took his political knowledge and experience and applied it to the private sector, where he became the director of Wholesale Beer Distributors of Texas, where he was responsible for monitoring political activities for the association, allowing him to lobby before the Texas legislature and the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission. By 1998, Mr. Frazier was recruited and joined the Schluter Group Austin-based lobbying firm, where he continued to utilize his political experience, leadership capability, and relationship building skills within the Texas legislature. How do we do, Kyle? Did I get all that right? You, you did great. <laughs> Better than most. <laughs> I'm really excited. For those of you who maybe don't know my background or know much about me, back in 2009, I believe it was, into the 2010 area, we were fighting legislation in Texas where the RPA and the RA had not completely unified. And so there was some legislation that was put into place that did not include the RPA. A few of us, Pavna Obroy here in Texas, myself, and just a handful of RAs came together and we sought out Mr. Frazier and hired him to be our lobbyist to advocate for the RPA profession. What was unique that came from it was not so much that we were trying to argue that one professional was better than the other, that one should be recognized over the other, but that there should be unity and recognition for those who had already been working in the industry and those that were coming into the industry. This was never a political fight to change scope of practice or enhance scope of practice. This was never a fight to work with anyone other than radiologists. It was really just about the inclusion of our name and being recognized alongside our counterparts, which are the RRAs. 
Since then, I am proud to say that we have unified and we have a unified voice and we're all recognized, just like in the state of Texas, as radiologist assistants. I couldn't be more proud of our profession for coming together and seeing how to come together unanimously. And that was through the direction of the ACR, the ASRT, the SRPE, the ARRT, and the CBRPA. Just really, really hands down great work that we were able to accomplish and and see that through. And then to have successful years ahead of us where it has remained. So Kyle, you're a personal favorite of mine. And I know that throughout the rest of my career, I will always look fondly on working with you on that. Well, thank you very much. It was uh, it was an interesting time period and the fight was a little different. Some of the other things I had done before. So it was uh, it was great getting to know y'all and glad the industry has made the progress that it has over the last 15 years or so. And, and y'all have had some real good success. And, and it's, it certainly sounds like the industry's grown. Yeah, it's been pretty phenomenal. You know, I think there used to be this divide between the RPA profession and the RRA profession, especially in the beginning. And and that divide is no longer there. And the unity and the support and the working together is just really nice. The harmony in it is amazing. And it's been great that everybody's held up to the integrity of what they said they would do, which I think has kept it very peaceful and really brought us together. Yeah, those intramural fights are always challenging. The legislative industry. We get involved in lots of those types of intramural fights, not just in the healthcare industry, but in other industries as well. It's difficult for the decision makers, the elected officials to pick and choose. And so those are just particularly worrisome and difficult to find some level of success in. And and the fact that y'all were able to eventually come together and present a unified front, it makes all the difference in the world as far as your ultimate success going forward long term makes a huge, huge difference. You're not fighting each other. You're moving forward and and trying to improve the profession and patient care, which obviously is the ultimate goal. I agree. First question I have. We are always looking at ways that us as radiologic technologists can advance our careers and finding avenues that we didn't know existed. What does it take to become a lobbyist? And could a technologist ever seek out becoming a lobbyist? Well, would it be possible for me to become an RA? No. <laughs> I'll give you an honorary one. But okay. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Well, then I would give you an honorary lobbyist uh, designation as well. You know, it's like any other profession. Of course, we can all be taught and learn how to do the mechanics of the profession. Passing a piece of legislation or killing a piece of legislation is while uh, complicated and intricate. It's something that's, you know, that you can study and learn. But understanding the nuances and how every bill is different and every individual who's making the decision on that particular piece of legislation is different and how to help them make the right decision is what's challenging is is what takes a long time to learn. And it's not an unusual question. One profession will come in and say, oh, well, you know, I know all about my profession. I can come in and convince somebody to believe what I'm saying and take my stand on something. And it's, as with almost every profession, it's much more difficult than it looks from the outside. And lobbying is no different. All the time I get kids out out of college who think they want to be a lobbyist. You know, I've got my master's degree in government or political science or whatever, history, and and now I want to be a lobbyist. And 
And I always give them the answer that, you know, none of them want to hear is, okay, well, you go work for a House member for a couple of sessions, then you go work for a senator for a couple of sessions. By this time, you're 32, 33 years old, and you've got maybe four, five, or six sessions under your belt, and you kind of understand the mechanics of how things work. Now it's time to go work at the low, low person on the totem pole at the trade association. Then you can understand how the other side of the industry works. And that's really what it takes to become one. I mean, you have to do, it's almost like an apprenticeship. You think about the other professions that both of us deal with for y'all and what it takes to get y'all's profession in line, what it takes to be a physician. And all of it takes an immense amount of time and, and education and schooling and practice before you can consider yourself a professional in that. And lobbying is really no different. It's very, very challenging. I mean, anybody can come down here and, you know, be a witness and present facts, but it's something else to understand the process enough to know when and where and how to do that. It's challenging. It's always interesting. It's never dull. You get to meet great people. You get to meet not great people and try to deal with all of them. So could one of y'all come down and make an impact? You bet. We will talk about that some how and why that's impactful, but you got to have somebody driving the train. And usually that's a lobbyist or as one of my clients likes to put it, a governmental advocate. Can you kind of explain to some of our listeners why it is important to have a lobbyist and to have that representation and the uniqueness that they can bring to advocacy? Sure. And again, if you think about it from a professional standpoint, I wouldn't be able to walk into your place of business. And even though I might be able to read and understand kind of what you do, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't walk in and do it. And lobbying is really not much different than that. Last session, the Texas legislature introduced in excess of 8,000 bills and resolutions. 8,000. And some of these were one word long and some of them were 900 pages long. And so sifting through all of that and understanding how to sift through all of that to find out what one of them might, that might impact your particular business, whatever that business is, takes some level of expertise and knowledge of just knowing where to look. Because obviously you can't read every one of them. And so there's expertise and know-how to kind of glean through and filter through all of that nonsense. Because obviously most of those bills and resolutions will never pass, thank goodness. As taxpayers, we wouldn't want them to. The Texas governmental, the, the way our legislature works, where our government works, it is a very difficult, slow process. And, and you recall that, I mean, having been down here some, passing a piece of legislation is extraordinarily difficult. And so change is slow and, and, and passing a piece of legislation is very difficult. Having said that, people like me who understand the process are able to get some things passed. And if you're not paying attention, something can happen in your particular industry if you're not vigilant. And next thing you know, there's been a change that's adverse to you and you didn't even know anything about it. And let's face it, all of us have busy lives. I mean, all of y'all work a job. Uh, you know, you have families, you have local community things that you're involved in. And even though we only meet for 140 days every two years, that 140 days is pretty intense. As I said, 8,000 pieces of legislation. And so keeping up with that and then keeping up with what's going on from a political standpoint during the interim is a full-time job. And so if you're doing your job and taking care of your family, you probably don't have time to come down and do my job. That's typically why somebody hires somebody like me is for the background, the knowledge, not necessarily the knowledge of the industry specifically. We can learn the ins and outs of the thing that you might be interested in, but it's the knowledge that we have down here as far as the process is concerned. And that there's just not many people that do. I can attribute that to, uh, you know, as an RA or even as an x-ray tech going to a brand new hospital and trying to figure out the nuances of that facility 
trying to find my way around and, and do things according to how they want them done. You know, it's a lot easier when you have someone who knows the game and who's someone who's there and doing it every day and has done it for a number of years. You know, that's kind of what I attribute a lobbyist to, to be is like someone who knows the game and how it's played because legislation and is probably a very foreign concept to a lot of people within healthcare, within our roles. And so being able to have somebody who knows how the game is played and point you in the right direction is going to be huge, but it's also probably very expensive. Would I be correct in saying that? Well, it, I mean, it can be. It depends on, on what you want to do and, you know, who the opposition is. And so people price their time accordingly. And, you know, if all you want to do is just kind of know what's going on, you want to monitor to make sure nothing bad is happening to you. You know, Kyle, tell me what bills have been filed that could impact this. And then you are able to look at it and see if it impacts you or it doesn't. That's relatively inexpensive thing to do. On the other hand, if, if you've got a major piece of legislation that you have to pass and there's ingrained opposition, that's going to be more expensive because it's going to take more time and more effort to get something like that passed. So you're in charge more and everything in between. It, you know, it just kind of depends on each individual set of circumstances. And, you know, lobbyists, for some degree, it's deserved, get a, get a bad rap because we represent special interests. The thing to keep in mind is that what is a special interest? And how broad exactly is that term? The way our government works now, both at the federal level and certainly at the state level, and even at the local level, is there are very few aspects of our life that are not impacted by what the government's doing. If you have a business that entertains and works in some type of commerce, there are current laws that impact how you run that business, how you conduct your commerce. There's very, very few professions. And again, as a person who makes use of professions, very few professions that don't have some level of, of required expertise at the test, uh, you know, specific amount of schooling, all of that has to be decided upon and regulated and maintained and overseen so that this profession, whatever it is, continues to represent itself at a high standard. You want people who can do what they say they can do and what they profess themselves and what they're charging for. And you want them to have at least a minimal amount of expertise and education to do that, whether it's a physician, an engineer, or a barber. And all of these folks, all of these professions have a certain level of required expertise that the state oversees and maintains. And you're required to pass tests and take certain education and go through continuing education. And all of those are laws that are put in place for the benefit of the public because we just can't have folks out there representing themselves as something that they have not received the education or the expertise on before the public, you know, and often charging for it. And so getting that done, and again, I go back to what I said a moment ago, you could all take off from your jobs for six, seven months of the year and come down here and try to pass something like that. Of course, you're not making a living and can't pay your bills. And so instead you hire somebody like me to listen to what your point of view is, what you want to try to accomplish, and then coming down here with your assistance and your foundational support, come down and, and try to make that change or to keep something bad from happening. You know, one of my favorite quotes, Thomas Jefferson said, lobbyists were a necessary evil. And if you think about a Texas House member typically has three staffers. For the most part, they're kids who are just out of college or sometimes not even out of college, maybe some volunteers, some interns, and they are trying to discern at some point very arcane, complex pieces of legislation that can have huge impacts on not just a profession, but entire areas of the state and entire sense of natural resources or whatever 
And you have to have some level of expertise that can come in and explain what in the hell this thing does. That's where we come in. And so, yeah, we represent special interests, but there are very few segments of the population out there that's not a special interest of some kind. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't care if you're a used car lot dealer. You've got a lobbyist, I can guarantee you. There's just not much out there that's not covered by that. Every time that I hear state licensure possibly being revoked or that they're undercoming some type of fire and they reach out to me, first thing I ask them is, have you hired a lobbyist? And I know that it's expensive. I had to help raise funds to have you available to us, you know, Kyle. Me and Bobna worked on that together and we were able to raise money and able to do that. You know, I do understand that having a lobbyist, there is a certain degree of financial responsibility that comes with it and that plays a key component in it. But the value that you find in it to have that individual there to represent you, to represent what it is that you're seeking to either oppose legislation or to support legislation, the value in that was substantially greater to us than the amount that we could have ever paid you. Obviously, I'm speaking on my own behalf because I think everybody needs a lobbyist. But, you know, the other question you have to ask is what it's worth not to have one. What's your potential damage if you don't get this done, if you don't know what's going on? And sometimes when you pose that question, people think about it a little bit different. But it's all relative. I compare myself to lawsuits. And this is a normal progression. Somebody doesn't like what's going on in a particular industry or particular profession. And so they file suit to get it changed. It goes through the court system. Of course, they hire attorneys and it goes through the appellate system and so on and so forth. And sometimes it can take years and much, much more money than they ever dreamed and still not necessarily have a successful conclusion. Whereas you can come in, possibly hire a lobbyist for a small percentage of of that overall cost and get it changed in two or four years and actually fix the law. And so you don't have to go to court. Of course, lawyers don't agree with the the way I present that. But from a practical sense, a a lot of times lobbying is a lot cheaper than going through the court system. You you know, when y'all approach me, I honestly, I mean, this was 14 years ago, however long it was, I didn't know you existed. Even with the advances in the profession and what y'all been able to accomplish, it's not something that I think certainly most patients, but the average person is, is not aware of. And that in and of itself obviously presents a problem. And, And you go back to the number of issues that these elected officials, whether it be state or federal, have to deal with on a daily basis. And, you know, you're just one of hundreds, if not thousands of different types of issues. And so, yeah, coming up with ways to, uh, you know, raise your awareness is always worth your time and effort. Always. I mean, it, I mean, it just takes a little of your time and, and it's absolutely worthwhile. And then y'all's profession runs into that as soon as you walk out the door. And that's the challenge. And, you know, you've had some success, but it never ends. I mean, the lobby game, the political game is, is a game that you can win on downs, but the game is actually never over. You can score touchdowns, you can be successful, but once you start, it doesn't stop. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good segue into that because we are the third largest medical professional, the medical imaging technologists, third largest. That's a crazy amount of people uh, that all these decisions are affecting. And I'm going to kind of combine what we're going to talk about next too. you know, there are national societies that advocate for us and promote us. But like you said earlier, when someone says, oh, I'm, I'm in the x-ray tech, a lot of people don't really know what that involves. Or I'm the CT tech, I'm the MR tech, I'm the ultrasound tech. Some people do, particularly if they've been in and out of the hospital a whole lot. But to the, you know, the general public, they may not know what these terms are. 
or who that person is in the scrubs. And so we do have national societies that are stepping up and stepping out for us to make us better known to the general population and promoting or encouraging rather. There's a shiny new commercial out promoting medical imagers to get people involved and interested in this career path. I understand good things take time, but how can we as a society or as a group of people do this better? Or how can we do it through legislation to make general populace understand what we're doing? You've got to do something that bubbles through the confusion and the darkness. And it is oftentimes through just brute force. So there are a couple of different ways to do it. We'll, we'll look at it this way. Recently, and you may have seen press on this, the uh, governor of Texas received a campaign contribution, a check, one check from a gentleman in Philadelphia for $6 million. One check, campaign contribution. In Texas, there are no limits, so you can give somebody as much as you want, obviously. So he gives him $6 million because he's very much in favor of school vouchers. See, a little connection there. So he gave the governor $6 million. Now, let's say I raise the governor $100. Now, he'll take my $100, just like he took the $6 million. But if me and the $6 million man call at the same time, whose call do you think he takes first? My bet's on the $6 okay, million. Yeah, you only, get, you, only get one, you, you only get one chance to answer that. That's right. It's probably the $6 million, right? So one way to bubble through is to give huge sums of money. Most of us can't do that. Nor, honestly, in my opinion, nor should we be able to. I don't think how our government is supposed to work. That's just me personally. That's not my clients or anybody else. But I think the decision of Supreme Court that says that money is the equivalent of free speech, I don't know I necessarily disagree with, but I think that we, just like free speech, there are limits. I can't go into a crowded theater and shout, you know, fire. And so I, I think we should have had limits. I think we should have limits on the amount of money that can be contributed, regardless. So if you can't write million-dollar checks, what do you do? How how do you get yourself known to decision makers? Well, the only way you can do that is through numbers. And, you know, when I first dealt with y'all 14 years ago, y'all were a very small group. Sounds like it has grown. Congratulations. And so the thing that you have that the $6 million man does not have is numbers. And when I walk into legislator's office and say, I need to do X, Y, and Z, or please help us do X, Y, and Z on behalf of client. That certainly carries a certain amount of impact because I know the legislator or I know the staff person, you know, and they believe I'm honest and and I represent whatever industry and they have some knowledge of that industry. When 10 people from one profession walk into that legislator's office, especially if some of them are from that person's district, from the elected official's district, and say, this is a problem. We have to have your help solving this. That carries almost as much, if not more impact than the guy who wrote $1,000, $10,000, $20,000 check. And because your constituents, your voters, your his or her voters more specifically, and believe it or not, most of these folks that are elected to these positions are down here trying to do something to help the people in their district. And when they don't do it or they do it incorrectly, it's almost always through ignorance. It's not intentional. But unless somebody comes and tells them, somebody like me or a group of y'all, that's the way to impact. Grassroots works and it works every single time. But it takes organization. It takes time. It doesn't even necessarily take a lot of money, but it does take time out of your schedule. You can't watch TV on one night a week or you can't go to dinner, you know, whatever, because you have to focus on this. You dedicate it to it. 
one of the things I do when I speak to, especially some of my larger clients, I go go and speak to their trade association convention and things like that, general membership meetings. And I go through this series of questions with every single one of them. And I embarrass them right in the middle in front of everybody. Because the first thing I ask them is, how many are registered to vote? You know, somebody raise their hands. Okay, how many voted in the last election? You know, this number keeps getting smaller, obviously. And they raise their hands and say, okay, well, how many of you know who your state representative is? Smaller number. How many of you know who your state senator is? Finally, the last question I ask them is, can you call? I don't mean call them on their office. I said, do you have their cell phone? Can you call them on their mobile phone? How many of you? Raise your hand. You know, you get one or two. Okay, will they accept the call and then listen to what your point is, whatever it is? And then a lot of times there's no one. That's how you influence. You become a fixture in their offices and in their campaigns. The most important thing for any elected official is what? Getting reelected. And if you can assist them in getting reelected, again, it's not necessarily about money. You know, you go stand at a poll, you hand out cards, you block walk, you work a phone bank one night a week, whatever. They love that kind of stuff and they never forget it. And they will defer to you over the $10,000 check. I promise you, it happens all the time because you are the most important person to them because you're the voter and you're their constituent. The more you can build up a relationship outside of coming down to the Capitol, but do it at home, do it at church, do it at PTA meetings, do it at home when they have time to sit and focus and, and meet you and get to know you, spend 30 minutes with you. That's when you're going to make an impact, whether it's one of you or 20 of you. That's how you do it. Promise you, you don't need to be able to write $10,000 check. Helps, but it's not necessary. It's not a have to. What you do is you go in and you meet these people at their local level, and then you just don't ever go away. Here's the ideal situation for a lobbyist. When I walk in to represent Smith's office on your behalf, and I say, we need to kill slash cast this piece of legislation. The first thing I want that representative to say to me is, well, is Reese okay with this? And I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Reese wants, this is, this is Reese's deal. Okay, well, that's all I need to know. If Reese is okay with this, then that's what we'll do. Think how easy that makes my job. And that's what we did in Texas. Exactly. All the advice that you gave us was, you know, get your family involved, get your friends involved. We reached out to people. You know, I didn't even think about it, but I grew up with the mayor that was there in Southlake. There's all these people that we are intertwined with that we don't even think about or that we don't want to bother. And I think that was our biggest success in Texas was one, of course, having you, but you leading us into, okay, this is what you need to do. It works every time. And it sounds simple. It is, but it's work. You have to be organized. One of the things that the docs have got first Monday, first Tuesday, whatever, they come down once a month during the session, all the docs, they wear white lab coats. The nurses come down in their pink outfits. And so everybody's got a a little bit of a gimmick to be recognized down here. And and those have value. I'm not saying that they don't. But if they spent the same amount of time and effort at the local level, instead of 50 of them walking office to office, if three of them went and saw the representative in his or her home district during the interim, when they've got time to actually sit and talk to you for an hour and learn what the hell the issue you're talking about, it's much more effective. Again, it takes time, it takes organization, but it works. Without exception, it works. you got to build up a relationship with these people because they are deciding. And this is the other thing that's scary. I I put both of y'all on a committee on the Natural Resources Committee. And I come to you with a bill dealing with groundwater regulation. And you have to decide, 
to go left or right on this particular piece of legislation. I would be willing to bet that neither one of you know much groundwater law, but that doesn't matter. You still have to decide. You have to vote one way or the other on this. So you can either beat your staff up to find out what in the hell this is doing and you know what it, what it deals with, try to make a decision, or you can talk to people in your district, people that you trust, and say, what should I do on this? Or you come to somebody like me or all of the above, but they're making these monumental decisions, business decisions, oftentimes on things they know virtually nothing about. 8,000 bills and resolutions. That's a lot to try to know or have some level of expertise on. And, and you can't. I mean, it's just not possible. Unfortunately, that's the way our system works. These people are, you know, citizen legislators. They work part-time. They have some expertise on whatever their profession is, but they serve on other committees. And they're being able to, has to make decisions on your profession and how you do what you do. And so the only way to help them make a good decision is to educate. You can either educate them during the legislative session when you've got five minutes or you can educate them at home when you can go sit in their office for 30 minutes or an hour. I love that you brought that up because I was digesting kind of what Reese asked. And then I was thinking back, Reese, to our former episode that we did with... With Brian Cutler. Uh-huh. Representative Brian Cutler. He's the House Speaker in Pennsylvania. And mm -hmm. so I'm just listening to you talk. And I think one of the big things that I think we've maybe not done as well, we're not doing Capitol Hill days where we go to our local representatives' offices or where we go to the state capitol. And I think that's something we're going to try to put together in Texas. And we're actually going to visit with one of the Georgia Society members, and they've been doing it. How do we incorporate that here in Texas? I think that's where the nurses and physicians, that's what they've done. And so if you want to be the third largest professional and you want to be recognized as a third largest professional, you're going to have to get up and do the work that those who are out doing you are doing. Right, right. And unfortunately, I mean, the scope of practice battles that the legislature deals with virtually every session are difficult and challenging. And the only way that you hold your own on that kind of stuff is if folks understand the importance of what it is you do and how it impacts patient care. And, and so I, I can't overemphasize the need to be organized and to be involved at a very, very granular level. The more you are in these decision makers' lives, the better. You don't want them making a decision without picking up the phone and calling you. And that's all really, really good advice. You know, I know that that's not something I've done at that level and definitely something I would love to do. I love politics. So I may try that this year. I think that is how we get out in our community, 100%. You'll be pleasantly surprised. Uh, I mean, these people are sponges most of the time. They actually want to know. They don't know. And they know they don't know. When their voters come in, and especially professions, come in and inform them and, and let them know how things work. This is what we do. This is why we do it. Come to the hospital. You know, we'll give you a little tour of our department. You know, that kind of thing. They love to do that kind of stuff. Absolutely love to do it. And yes, you just go be persistent and ask. I know we talk about Tennessee a lot, especially recently. A lot of different changes happening in Tennessee. But I think one of the biggest failures that we had is you started advocating at the last minute. And you need to pull all these people together. And it got left, you know, to a small group of people. You know, I, I wish that it wouldn't have happened so short for them. Unfortunately, you know, politics is sneaky. And when you can get it in quick and get it done, that's the way to do it. You can be successful at the last minute, but it's like anything else. The least expensive, most effective way is do it long term. The most expensive way and not always successful is last minute. So I'm going to start trying to organize something in Texas and try to do that. When would be the best time to look, contact these people? Do I just cold call them? Do I send an email? How do, how do we go about getting that ball rolling? A couple of things. 
So I'll kind of roll all this in together. On the federal level, you know, congressional level, congressmen are in D.C. most of the time. You know, they're back in their districts at very set specific times. And usually it's around campaigning, but not always. These are professional politicians. This is what they do for a living. They spend most of their time up in D.C. They do meet with some constituents. It is challenging to get in to see them unless you have some type of relationship with them. At the state level, it's much different. These are not full-time jobs. Most of these people have a real job at the state level. allows them a, a great amount of flexibility as far as their constituent service is concerned. The people who have the best chance of getting in to see someone is going to be a constituent. Uh, in your case, a professional constituent and, you know, needs to go in and talk to the representative or talk to the senator, whoever it is, about whatever issue you want to go talk about. Don't dismiss staff, both at the state level and federal level. Don't kid yourself. Most of the time, it's the staff who is assisting in making the decision, whatever decision it is. Because again, you've got so many different issues that come before them and the complexity of these electeds just don't have the time or the bandwidth to know the answers all that. And so they assign staff to different regions and to different sets of issues to learn whatever is going on. So figure out, again, state and federal level, figure out who on the state is dealing with issues of interest to you. That's who you want to go see first. You don't necessarily need to go see the rep or the senator first. Uh, although if you can get in to see them, that's great. Don't be surprised if you get shoved off to a staff person, and that's okay too. It's consistency. You make the appointment with a staff person, you go in, you have a you have the meeting with the staff person, 30 minutes, you come prepared, you have all your background information, you do as much work for them as possible. Again, think about the workload that they've got, and the more work you do for them, it means they have to do less. So it requires a synopsis of the bill or a breakdown of the issue in question, the pros and cons, what's the other side going to say, and be honest. But go through everything, both sides of the issue, or all three sides, or however many sides there are, and give as much information as you possibly can to the staff person. Do their work for them so that you become a resource so that when their boss says, what are we going to do on Senate Bill 274? The staff person goes, oh, yeah, Reese came in. I know who we need to talk to about this. Screw the lobbyist. He's got you. Y'all went in. You had the conversation. You've been briefing him on this for two months. That's where he got all his information. So you don't necessarily have to see the senator or the representative. You can do this through the staff. But you, know, you go in, you see them, you have your meeting, you follow up the next day with a phone call, you send them a card, say, thank you so much for your time. Here's some additional information. Please call me if you have any questions. Six weeks go by, you call them again. Just wanted to update you on what else is going on. It's constant. And again, the cost you things have a little bit of time. But the more that person can become accustomed to hearing from you on this particular set of issues, the more likely they are to do whatever it is you want them to do. Or at a minimum, if they're thinking about doing something, they're going to call you and say, okay, the boss is really going a different direction on this. Tell me where we're screwing. And he gives you an opportunity to interject yourself into that equation. My business is really, really simple. It's about being helpful to people who are in need. All of us at different times in our life have had a home and, and we've had a neighbor on one side who, man, every time you're out there working on your car or you're trying to cut down limbs of the tree or your mower broke down, they come over and they help. Okay, well, I got that tool for you. Or here, let me help you with the lawnmower. And then the neighbor on the other side, they're nice folks. You still don't have much relationship with them. But when both of them are in need, which one are you going to go help? You're going to go help the one that's always helping you all the time. This is no different. 
equation is so simple. And you just have to break it down to that simplicity. And it works every single time. You just have to be helpful to these people any way you possibly can. And you start at the low end of the totem pole. And that's the same. Kyle, I know that you're very busy. I am extremely grateful that you came on, gave us a little bit of advice. I think the biggest is that we should be starting this early. Uh, Right now, there's no legislation in Texas that affects us and it's not even in session. And so this is a perfect time, Reese, for you, me, all of us in Texas to maybe start making some cold calls saying, hey, go in, meet your representatives. Let's get more involved. Let's not. Because all you have to say is, is that, you know, this is what we do. This is our profession. Gosh, if you ever got time, we'd love for you to come by the the unit and we can give you a little tour, kind of, you can see everybody working, what we do. If you ever have a question or if some bill comes up, please, you know, give me a call. I'd love to be your resource on these issues. Perfect. Good advice. Well, Kyle, I think we'll start wrapping things up. So I want to tell our listeners, thank you for joining us today. Kyle, I'm always grateful for any advice that you give us or just anything that you have done to help the success of our profession, helping us come together and then moving us forward. Thank you for taking the time to help our radiology professionals learn how to advocate. I'm just impressed as hell that y'all have grown so much. Absolutely <laughs> outstanding. I uh, haven't been able to keep up with y'all, but but glad things are going well. And it makes me feel good that uh, I had a little peace and was able to help that a little bit. So I want to tell all of our listeners, if you haven't checked out other episodes, please go on ahead and do so. As you know, we are big into advocacy, advocating for the profession and finding our voice and elevating that bar. Reese, thank you so much for coming on with us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. In fact, I just checked on collaborationra.com and I'm happy to see that there's some activity going on here. So if you haven't already checked out what we're talking about, the forums page on collaborationra.com, you can just go ahead and hit new topic and start your own conversation there. We'd be happy to hear from you. Also, if you want to have your own Collaboration RA episode, please reach out to us. We have an open mic policy. Marceline, thank you for joining me. Always happy, Reese. All right, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Collaboration RA. Remember to find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. There you'll find our social media accounts. Give us a like and give us a share. We look forward to your support and thank you for tuning in.